Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. I'm up now, right? Do you have Megan, wonderful job. Another hand for Megan. That's an impressive uh, announcement going on there. Um, my name is Kent Carlson. If you haven't uh, met me before, I've been uh, here at Oak Hills for, for a number of years. And um, it's always good to be back and to be uh, with you and to share God's word with you. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. It's been now um, two and a half years uh, since I've been essentially traveling around North America, working with pastors and churches, rethinking who the church needs to be at what many have called the end of Christendom, and uh, having uh, an extraordinary, wonderful time doing that. Two years now, full-time on that, and there's some fascinating stories out there, but I'm not going to get into them uh, this, um, this Sunday. Uh, because I think I get to come back in July, July 8th, and Mike and I have talked that maybe we can play together a little bit then and talk about some of those things and hear what God is doing and uh, and, in a sense in which you guys have sent me and I've had the opportunity to kind of represent you and continue to point back to you for all the things that are are happening here. And so I'm I'm, uh, grateful for that opportunity. Uh, But today I want to get into our passage that we have. But before I get there... Uh, let's talk about the theme of this series. In the cult classic movie, uh, The Princess Bride, where, as I understand it, Mike and his team got the inspiration for the title and the theme of this summer sermon series, uh, we're in, it's called Inconceivable. I do not think the kingdom means what you think it means. Well, uh, in this uh, marvelous movie, and by the way, just on a side note, it never ceases to amaze me, that in 2018, uh, when technology is so advanced and we have the world of entertainment at our fingertips, it never ceases to amaze me that there are people in the United States of America, of all places, who have never watched uh, The Princess Bride. Um, I'll just ignore for the time being uh, those who have watched it or watched part of it and found it not to their uh, liking. That's inconceivable to, to me. But then again, when I think about it, there are people who really enjoy and love Nicholas Sparks movies and people who love their steaks well done and people who don't appreciate baseball and people who think that professional wrestling is, is real. So there's no accounting, really, in, in the long run for people's tastes and uh, opinions about things. It's just one of the many mysteries uh, of this world. But if you find yourself numbered among the handful of inhabitants of planet Earth who have never watched The Princess Bride. Well, someday, hopefully, you will watch it. And from my own personal experience, it's about the eighth time through that the beauty and the wisdom and the genius of the movie begins to, to get, get through to you. But I realize, and I kind of accept this, that some of you will never watch it. And so, as you wish, I guess. But at any rate, there's this one character in the movie, uh, Vizzini, uh, the Sicilian, who sees himself as perhaps the most intelligent person on the planet, only it quickly becomes obvious that he's not. And one of his little verbal tics is that he constantly uses uh, the word inconceivable. And you get the sense that he doesn't really know what this word means. In fact, the character Fezzik, 
uh, an incredibly large dude played by Andre the Giant, who is not the smartest tool in the toolbox himself. He tells Vizzini, the Sicilian, once, you keep using that word. I do not think that word means what you think it means. And that's a wonderful way of getting, actually, at the theme of this series, which is quite simply the kingdom of God, which Mike so wonderfully pointed out uh, last week. If you haven't heard that message, kind of introductory to the whole thing, I encourage you to go back and spend some time with that. The kingdom of God is the main thing that Jesus talked about in his earthly ministry. Uh, Jesus was all about the kingdom of God. He said that the good news, the gospel, was that the kingdom of God is here among us, in our midst. It's not something we discover when we die, but we begin to experience it in the here and now. It's not something that will only take place on some unknown day in the future when Jesus returns and rules completely over this earth. It's taking place right now. When Jesus says that unless we change and humble ourselves and become like little children, we will never enter the kingdom of God, he wasn't primarily talking there about after we die. He was talking about right now. If we want to live in the reality of the kingdom of God, right now, today, we must learn how uh, to change, to humble ourselves as little children. The kingdom of God is not something that we bring about. It's not associated with any country, with any earthly ruling army. It is not a privatized, individualized thing that we can kind of carry around in our hearts that gives us preferential treatment when we die and go to heaven. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 that the kingdom of God is not something that can actually be easily observed or discerned, nor will people be able to say, here it is, or there it is, because Jesus said the kingdom of God is in our midst. The kingdom of God is here among us. It is closer to us than we are to ourselves. It is the grand and glorious and wonderful reality that is always present in our world. If we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. The kingdom of God is God at work in this world. Where God is bringing all things ultimately under his good and gracious rule. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective rule. The kingdom of God is where whatever God says goes. The kingdom of God is always operative, always at work, always advancing. And we are not the ones who extend his kingdom. We do not bring the kingdom of God to this world. We don't even advance the kingdom of God. This is all good. This is all God's work. And we have the privilege of joining him in this work. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells another one of his wonderful parables of the kingdom where he says that the kingdom of God is like a man who goes out and he scatters seed. And Jesus says that night and day, whether man is asleep or awake, whether he's working or not, the seed is working all by itself and it's sprouting and it's growing. Though the man has no idea how it's working. The whole thing works all by itself. The seed produces the grain. Just listen for a moment to those string of phrases that Jesus uses there. Night and day, whether the man is sleeping or waking, whether he's working or resting, it grows all by itself, though he doesn't know how. That's the kingdom of God. It's always operative. It is always advancing. It's always on the move. And this is what we prayed for, as Mike reminded us last week and as he prayed today, when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Your rule, O God, is absolute and eternity in heaven. But we are praying that your kingdom would come to us today, which is another way of saying the exact, and is another way of saying the exact same thing. We are praying that his will would be done. So the kingdom come, your will be done. Same phrases, on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the good news that we, as followers of Christ, have the privilege of sharing with the rest of the world has to do foundationally with invisible things. Invisible things that directly uh, impact and affect our world. Our message that we proclaim to this world is that invisible things are, are real. We live in a world that does not believe, really, in invisible things. But our message is that invisible things are real. And God has made, created human beings in such a way that we have the capacity inherent to our nature to interact with and be transformed by this invisible world of the kingdom of God. There is, in a sense, one world that the vast majority of people in this world live in, solely. It is the world of our physical sense. It is the world of matter. It is the world that we can experience through our senses. And this is definitely the real world. It's very real. It's not pretend. It exists in the universe, but it is not the sum total of reality. There is another reality, a greater reality, an invisible reality. And these parables of Jesus that we're going to be studying this summer are meant to point people who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, the humility to know that we don't know very much and that we're wrong about many things, the curiosity who have the curiosity and hunger to be open to this other invisible world. These parables seek to pull the curtain back a bit and say, look, see, there's more. There's more, and it's beautiful, and it's very good, and it's wonderful. Our friend and mentor, the late Dallas Willard, said it this way, Jesus' good news about the kingdom can be an effective guide for our lives only if we share his view of the world in which we live. To his eyes, this is a God-bathed and a God-permeated world. It is a world filled with a glorious reality where every component is within the range of God's direct knowledge and control, though he obviously permits some of it for good reasons to be for a while otherwise than as he wishes. It is a world that is inconceivably beautiful and good because of God, and because God is always in it. It is a world in which God is continually at play and over which he constantly rejoices. Until our thoughts of God have found every visible thing and event glorious with his presence, the word of Jesus has not yet fully seized us. The kingdom of God is real. It is the greatest reality. And one day it will swallow up everything that opposes it and it will transform it all. And these parables of Jesus that we're studying together this summer are one of the ways that Jesus taught about this reality of the kingdom of God. And so let's begin uh, by reading the parable that we have before us today, the parable of the sower, beginning with the first verse of Matthew 13. And I invite you to stand. If you want to follow along, you can uh, read, uh, you can turn to page 978. And I know that was a long intro. Um, but I was here last week, and some of you are already heading to your cars by the time Mike had you stand and read, read the scripture. But Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, then we'll skip over to verses 18 to 23. 
The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A father went out to sow his seed. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Maybe it was a father, too. As he was scattering the seed, some fell upon the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds, other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And then verse 18. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Now, this is one of those passages of Scripture as we look at uh, together will not take a lot of time for us to interpret because obviously here, as we read through it, Jesus does the interpretation for us. Now, he told this parable to a large crowd of people who came uh, to be taught by him. And when you think about it, it was a pretty assertive parable, pretty aggressive teaching here. He was saying that there are a whole lot of people who hear this message about the kingdom and they simply are not yet the kind of people in whom the message of the kingdom is going to implant deeply and germinate and and grow. In other words, this parable is more or less this parable is more or less wasted on them. The message of the kingdom of God at this point in their lives is more or less wasted on them. And when he finished this parable, his disciples came up to him and essentially said, Now Jesus, you know, we don't want to critique because, you know, we we know or at least we think we know that you know what you're doing. Uh, but don't you think that was just a little vague, what you said right there? I just can't just say it. You know, we're just sons of poor insurance men from Redding, California. We, we, uh, we don't know that much. And we, uh, why can't you just say it in plain Aramaic without hiding the plain meaning in all these farming stories? Why, why, why do you speak in parables? Now, in the section that I didn't read be, between the parable and the interpretation of the parable, and I don't have any time to go into this in any detail, but if you're interested, you may find Jesus' words here very enlightening, very challenging. In fact, if what I'm going to say from here on out seems incredibly boring to you, this would be a great time just to read that section and forget what, what I'm saying. Because here Jesus is saying essentially the truth about the kingdom of God will only be heard by those who are seeking it. By those who, in the words of the Beatitudes, hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
The truth of the reality of the kingdom of God in our midst is not really for those who simply want to add some God stuff on top of their already busy lives. Who want to know about the kingdom of God as one important thing in our lives among a lot of other important things. Later this summer, we're going to be studying the the parables of the treasure hidden in the field and the, the, the pearl of great value where Jesus talks about how when you actually find the kingdom, when you come across the kingdom, you sell everything you have in order to possess it, because it's that great. It's that wonderful. This message of the kingdom is not something that Jesus, nor should we, try to make palatable and easy, so that reluctant and barely interested people might be willing to have a little taste of it. The message of the kingdom of God is an invitation to begin living the best of all possible lives now, today. And the road to that life is neither broad nor is it easy. Rather, as Jesus says, it is narrow and it takes great effort. If someone is not hungry for it, they simply, after a very short time, will not find it very interesting. The truth about the reality of the kingdom of God in order to make a substantial impact in our lives, there must be this kind of holy restlessness, a kind of deep discontent, discomfort, a deep-seated sense that something is not quite right with the world and something is not quite right with me. If people feel really in the final analysis that their life is just fine, and mostly what they want is just to be kind of left alone and allowed to pursue their life as they wish, according to their own desires. The message of the kingdom of God, we should just say this up front, is going to be kind of annoying. It'll mess with our stuff. So the parables of Jesus are actually aimed at discovering who are the hungry ones. Who are the ones for whom this world is not enough? Who are the ones who are beginning to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear? So he tells this parable, and I'll I'll briefly uh, recap it so that we can... The the watch or the clock's gone up there. Oh, there it is up there. Okay, good. You guys change things when I'm gone for a couple years. So, verse 3. Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, a, father, a, far, farther, a farmer went out to sow a seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came along and ate it up. So that's the fir- first thing is this path. It's hard ground, throws the seed down, and birds ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up, sprung up quickly uh, because the soil was shallow. shallow. But the sun came out, scorched it, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Then the third soil, the, some seed fell among the thorns, which grew up, and the thorns grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a, a crop, uh, 160, 30 times what was, what was sown. So after Jesus finishes telling the parable, this crowd, the, the crowd, this parable, and again, remember, he didn't interpret or anything. He just said what I just said there. People go, okay, what's the point of that? I get it. Uh, but he didn't explain anything. 
And after he explains to his disciples as to why he speaks in parables, he then goes and interprets the parable for his disciples, and uh, who presumably are those who hunger and thirst for the kingdom of God, who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. So let's, let's look at his interpretation just a little bit more closely. So, going to verse 18. Listen then, Jesus says, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom of God and does not understand it, it doesn't get into them. The soil is hard. Our our vision of another world is dim or limited or not there. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is a seed sown along the path. So that's the first one. The, the, The message of the kingdom of God comes to us and there's no place for us to hear it just bounces off. Our world is just fine the way it is. Our life is just fine the way it is. Our sense that there is another world that I'm not quite tied into is not strong enough. And this world preoccupies me uh, completely. And I look at things from my own personal, uh, for my own personal pleasure, my own personal interest. Uh, and so the kingdom of God, the message of the kingdom of God comes and we people can shrug it off. We can shrug it off. Second, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. So it's a person who hears the message of the kingdom of God and they they raise their hand in a service and say, "I want I want to follow Jesus." They walk the aisle, they pray the prayer, they say, "This is awesome. I want this." They're listening in church and hear something and they go, "This is truth. I need this," and they receive it. And while they're in this moment, large emotion comes and there's hunger for. God, and uh, life has happened. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, just the hassles of life comes along, uh, they quickly fall away. So there's the third one. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, the message about the kingdom of God. But the worries of this life And the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So these are people who hear the message of the kingdom of God. This is us, we, who when we hear the message of the kingdom of God, we begin to respond to it. But our lives are full of anxiety. We have all these things that need to be done and not enough time to do them. Our lives are frenetic. They're hurried. They're fast. There's not much space. We are worried about our security. We're worried about our retirement. We're worried about where our kids will go to school. We're worried about our finances, our job. And we're pursuing greater security, greater wealth, and getting it or just desiring it. And because of that, the, the, the life of the Word of God, the life of the message of the kingdom of God is choked out in us. And it cannot throw down its roots. Then finally, the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So, now since Jesus has done all the interpreting of this parable for us, and I think that we can have confidence that his interpretation might be one of the better ones out there, our job then is to spend our time on the application side of things. I'm going to divide up our application into two broad topics. So these are the only two points. So if uh, you don't like taking notes, this is like the easiest sermon ever to take notes on. The first 
point, the first topic is my life. And the second one is my world. And so we're going to begin with uh, my life. It may be tempting for some of us, probably not too many of us, thankfully, um, because this has never been the vibe around here at, at Oak Hills. But maybe for some of us, it may be tempting to take this parable and to use it as a kind of lens through which we can evaluate the people in our lives as to their degree of receptivity to the message of the kingdom of God. And so we can look at neighbors or work associates or spouses or other family members, other church members, your senior pastor. And we can kind of do an evaluation, not even a chuckle there, we can kind of do an evaluation of what kind of soil is in their lives. Whether it is the hard soil of the beaten down path where nothing grows, or whether it's the rocky ground where the seed sprouts quickly but fails to put down roots, or whether the seeds fall in rather fertile ground, at least it seems, but there are all these thorns there as well that choke the life out of the new grain. Or if it's fertile soil and there's a huge receptivity to the message of the uh, kingdom of God and transformation begins to take place. It's kind of easy to spend our time being soil inspectors uh, for other people, living with a kind of evaluative mindset, living with a kind of judgment orientation, seeing if people measure up to where we think they should be. But here we should be reminded that when Jesus began his public ministry, the very first thing he said, his very first message, words that he proclaimed, and we can read this about this in Mark chapter 1, was this. Jesus went into Galilee, and he went proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel. And here's the good news that Jesus proclaimed. The time has come. The time has come. This is the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Get your wife to repent and have her place her confidence in the good news. Or the kingdom of God has come near. Get your neighbor to repent and put his confidence in the good news. Or get the person who is different from you to repent and get him or her to place their confidence in the good news. Or get the person whose beliefs or lifestyle you disagree with to repent. Or get the sinner at work or in the neighborhood to repent. And obviously, of course, Jesus didn't say any of those things. He was actually very clear about it. He said that in light of the good news, in light of the fact that the kingdom of God has come near, I need to repent and begin to learn how to place my confidence in God. And so there's no way, obviously, to apply this parable to other people. And, I mean, we can try to, but it's really kind of a silly thing to do. Not to mention that it's contrary to the teachings of Jesus. This parable is for me. This parable is for you. And when we reflect on this parable and then carefully reflect on our lives, we will recognize that we have been all these different soils during many seasons of our lives, right? And in any season of my life, including right now today, There are areas of my life, your life, where the message of the kingdom of God comes to me and it falls on the hard soil of the path and the evil one takes away the seed that has been planted and I simply do not want to hear from God because he would be incredibly inconvenient to me right now. And there are other areas of my life right now today where the message of God comes to me and it falls on rocky ground. I hear something in church or from scripture or from a friend or directly from God himself. 
and I receive it, and I respond to it with, with joy, and I say yes to God. But then I really don't do very much about it at all. And I don't make the effort, and the roots don't go down, and I kind of stay in the same place, and transformation doesn't happen. And there are other areas in life where I simply cannot hear the message of the kingdom of God because my mind, my life, is preoccupied with, preoccupied with worry, with stuff, with money, with the preoccupation for security and pleasure. And then thankfully, there are those areas in my life when I'm actually humbly open to the kingdom of God. And there is a willingness to receive the painful truth about where I'm not following the way of Jesus. And where because of this I'm harming people. And I'm harming shalom, human flourishing in my little corner of the world. And I receive this truth and I begin to arrange my life to allow the roots of this message to go down deep into who I am. So you see, I'm a mixed field of soils. Hard ground, rocky ground, thorny ground, and fertile ground. And so I suspect are you. And the job we have before us to apply this parable is to reflect carefully and discern those areas of our lives where the soil is either hard, rocky, or full of thorns. So let's do that for a moment. The Spirit of God is here among us, and there may be some work that has to happen today. So if someone's going to, yeah, we'll play a little music here in the background to kind of get you in the mood. We'll turn the lights down, and I would just ask you to close your eyes for a second, if you want to. Some of you like looking around. That's fine. But get comfortable. They get into a reflective moment. And uh, let's count on the fact that since the Spirit of God is here, and He is real, and invisible things are real, and God actually communicates with His children, that He may in these moments begin to bring up some things in our lives we need to pay attention to. So get comfortable. Spirit of God, speak to us. Point out right now in these moments what we need to see. Protect us from our closed-mindedness, our sense that everything is fine. Protect us from our pride. Give us humility. Give us confidence that the way of Jesus is the best of all possible lives. For some of us today, the message of the kingdom of God falls upon hard soil in some areas of our lives. So we need to ask, where are the areas where I am simply unable to receive the message of the kingdom of God? Truth comes to me, but I can't hear it. My heart is hard. I have no space to receive it. Think back even in the last few days where there was truth coming to you and you rejected it. Maybe there was a situation in a broken relationship. Marriage, parents, children, friends. And there's this thing in us that just won't let it go. Maybe we even say, I can't forgive. And yet, as Mike taught us last week, forgiveness is the air that is breathed in the kingdom of God. We cannot live in the reality of the kingdom of God if we do not learn forgiveness. Which means we must give up the need to be proven right, to punish, 
to see justice done on my terms, in my way. And instead we leave this in God's hand. Maybe there's an area of sin that we just know is there. We know it's sin, we know it's wrong. But we won't deal with it. We just won't deal with it. And it blocks the work of God from taking root in our lives. Perhaps we think that we know a better way. So in these moments, where is the Spirit of God speaking to us? But we've been resisting Him. Perhaps it's been a long time since we've had an intimate encounter with God. We've just kind of been going through the motions. Because we know if I had that encounter with God, there would be some major changes that would have to take place if I wanted more of God. I could not stay the same. And so because of that, we often just kind of coast. We go to church. We live in many ways as functional atheists. It's almost as though if there was no God, it would not make that much of a difference in my life. So what is God calling out to you about? Where have you, where have I been resisting Him? What kind of crazy act of trust in Him has He called us to? But we're just too timid, too fearful to pursue it. I spent a weekend with a good pastor friend of mine uh, up in Tahoe, and we spent several days together laughing and having fun, but also praying for each other. And one of the things that came out in this prayer time is, is this reality, what we hunger for is encounter with the presence of God. I want a life that is open to His involvement in my life. I don't want to just play the game. I want it to be real. I want to connect with the invisible. For some of us, there's areas of our lives that the soil is rocky. We have received the message of the kingdom of God with joy. Some pretty powerful experiences. And in that time, we made some promises. But then what happens? Well, life happens to us, right? And we never sent down any roots. We didn't make any detailed effort to actually organize, reorganize our lives around the way of Jesus. See, spiritual experiences, as, as, as wonderful as they are, they do not transform character. That comes through effort and discipline in community. Where is my commitment to God just emotional? But it doesn't have the muscle and bones around it that comes from a disciplined life in community. Not alone all by myself, but with other sisters and brothers who are hungry for the kingdom of God. Where am I talking a good game these days? But it's often just a lot of talk. Where is God calling me to reorder my life around the way of Jesus with greater intentionality and effort in community? Where am I faking it? Where am I pretending? Where am I just kind of going through the motions? And then there's a soil in many of our lives where the thorns kind of choke out the life of God in us. We just have to face this. This is life in suburbia. 
in affluence, with this hunger for security, for wealth, for possessions, for youth and beauty, for the next shiny thing. This is our life. Jesus was very clear here. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the message of the kingdom of God. We are not an exception to this. The way we're handling all this is not as perfectly balanced as we like to pretend. Even though we say we just own things, but things don't own us, we're most likely just fooling ourselves. The worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth, the gaining it and the desperate hunger for it, is terribly harmful spiritually. The Bible cannot be clear on this issue. Where is God calling us to radical expressions of confidence in Him? Jesus spoke about this all the time. This issue of anxiety and trusting God was a constant teaching of Jesus. What do we actually believe about this world and God's ways in this world? Can I really trust Him? Can I learn to live without anxiety? Can I admit that I use anxiety and worry to avoid trusting God? Jesus' teaching here is clear. The message of the kingdom of God in our midst will be choked out by the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. So here's our question. Where is the life of God being choked out in my life because of worry, anxiety, and the need for more, and the inability to live more simply and with greater contentment. And finally, take a moment to give God thanks and revel in those areas in our lives where the message of the kingdom of God has found fertile soil. And we are beginning to experience a profound transformation. And the goodness of a life that is being permeated with love for God and for others. So once more, Spirit of God, in these moments, as we reflect together, and as we go our way this day, continue to teach us what we need to hear from you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, now before we close, you can put the lights back up. Thank you, Jordan, very much. Um, if you want to just keep playing, that's fine, or just don't. But I wanted to spend uh, a few minutes uh, we don't have much time uh, to take this parable in a whole other direction than where we've been so far. And I said I want us to look at the parable from two perspectives. First is through the lens of my life, but now second, I'd like us to look at this parable through the lens of my world. And Jordan, I'm making a call now. I think it might be go too long to do that. Is that good? Okay, thank you. Sorry about that. Um, the Word of God is going out all the time. And all over the place, the Word of God is finding fertile soil, receptive hearts. I've been working with pastors, as, as many of you know, kind of full-time all over North America for the last couple of years, and it never ceases to amaze me when there are these moments where the clouds part, the dust settles, and someone just gets it. God shows up, and the world just gets marvelously turned upside down, and they get converted. They get born again, again. Mike and I were working with a group of 35 pastors from all over North America in a retreat center up in Auburn back in February. Um, 
And there was this one pastor from a small church in a small town in the conservative, traditional heartland of America. And he had come on this year-long journey with his 35 other pastors. But I could tell at the first retreat we were together in Vancouver that he didn't really know what to think. He had a kind of skeptical uh, mindset. But he stayed at it. He kept coming. He did the reading. And there was this one time at the retreat up in Auburn that this pastor stood up and simply shared that he had been a pastor. He had been involved in church ministry his whole life. But in the last couple of days, he says this in front of everyone, he is beginning to see for the very first time what it means to live deeply in the grace of God. To not live out of duty and obligation, but out of love. And as this pastor was talking, this kind of typical to me, you know, emotionally repressed Midwesterner, He's beginning to choke back tears, and it was like I could see the shame, at least in that moment, just leaving his body. And he was in love with God, and he knew that God loved him. If before that retreat I was going to rank the pastors out of those 35 who I might think would have that kind of experience, he would have been near the bottom or at the bottom. But remember, the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed, and whether he's awake or asleep, whether he's working or resting, the seed sprouts and grows all by itself, and nobody knows how it happens. It's God. I was with a group of pastors in Indiana a couple months ago, about 12 of them, just for two hours. Kind of just flew through. And they'd come all over, from all over the state, from Ohio, some from Kentucky, and we had gathered in Indianapolis for just two hours. And we talked together about the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God and the good news and what the church could be and the importance of paying attention carefully to the person I am actually becoming. And this one 60-year-old pastor in this small church plant, he's just looking around at everybody, and I'm looking at him, and I'm seeing that his eyes are starting to get all watery. So I stopped everything, and I just said, hey, what's going on? Anything you want to share with us? And this guy in front of all of these other 12 pastors with this beautiful humility and vulnerability, he says, I've been a pastor my whole adult life. And just now, in these moments, I'm seeing that perhaps the strongest motivation of my life is to please people. And because of this, I've never been able to lead well or with courage because of these people-pleasing tendencies. And that has to change. It's just this holy moment. And again, if I, coming into that meeting, if I were to guess by uh, demeanor and body language or the pastors in the room, he would have been one of the least, most least likely uh, Persons, pastors, I would have expected something like that from. But whether it is night or day, whether we are working or resting, the kingdom of God, all by itself, without us knowing how, is at work. It's operative. It's advancing. It's growing. Ashland is on the move. Invisible things are real. And they affect this world. And they affect the people of this world. If you would, I want to read a, a passage here from Luke chapter 10. I think it will be up on the screen. This is during the ministry of Jesus, and he sends his disciples out on a, um, on a trip, kind of an evangelistic trip. And here's what he says. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So Jesus was about to go there, so he sent these people up first. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are full. There's fertile soil. Seeds are growing. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, this is fascinating, first say peace to this house. Shalom. 
If someone who promotes peace is there, other, past, other translations say a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Huge discernment is going on here. It's not like some sign goes off and you can tell they're a person of peace or not. Uh, it's you're there and you just realize in the moment something's going on there. There's a discernment and you realize this is fertile soil that has been readied by God who has gone ahead of me. Stay there then, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, this is the message again, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, regardless, the kingdom of God has come near. So here's the thing. When we go to sleep, God doesn't. When we are exhausted, God is full of energy and always at work. When we are discouraged, God has this eternal appetite for joy, and he never has a bad day. In other words, the kingdom of God is not dependent on us. If we don't do anything, God's kingdom is still operative, still advancing. This is unbelievably liberating if we let this truth sink into us. God does not wake up in the morning and check with us at Oak Hills to try to figure out what he's going to do that day. God is not in the least bit passive in that way. He's active. He operates actually on his own initiative and is at work all the time and he doesn't wait around for us. He certainly invites us to join with him and that's a great privilege to journey with him, to be a part of his redemption of this world. But when we move into a neighborhood, here is something we should know. God has been there already. And he's at work. When we get a new job, or we go to a new school, or we marry into a new family, or develop a new group of friends, or frequent a certain restaurant, or join a certain gym, or a certain community group, or go to the DMV of all places, or the corner gas station, or the fast food joint, God's already there. And just like Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, we can learn to become keenly aware of those people of peace those people whose hearts are already a fertile soil and are already responding to the message, the reality of the kingdom of God in our midst. So when we go there and we begin to talk about this, point to it, people are already ready if we're discerning who they are. You see, the parable of the sower should remind us that there are indeed places in our world and in our lives where the soil is already ready to receive the message of the kingdom of God. We do not have to walk into places and make it happen. God is already at work. He is. We just have to learn how to be aware, attentive, discern his presence, to be interested and alive to the invisible reality of his kingdom because it is very real. So here's the experiment. I'll close with this. Think about where you go every day or a few times a week. Maybe pick a restaurant. Just keep going back to it. Or a store. Or your gym. Or your nightly walk. And begin to realize that God is already there. And all the people you meet there. The workers there. He's already at work. And he's up to something. And there are people of peace in our lives who God has prepared. And we may never guess it by looking at them. 
But the soil of their life is rich and fertile for the good news of the kingdom of God. And I am so convinced these days that if we are increasingly learning how to do this, to live in this way, to go out into our neighborhoods and places of work and all sorts of places with hearts of discernment, with hearts that are increasingly attentive and curious and alive to the kingdom of God in our midst, we will begin to see and to experience the reality of the kingdom of God, which has come near. And this will be the greatest of adventures. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for uh, your presence here. Thank you for the presence of your kingdom in our midst. Give us hearts that are ready to receive your truth, a willingness to uh, pay attention to where the soil is not conducive to receiving your message. But also as we walk out these doors this day into this world that is precious to you, send us out with discerning hearts that are attentive to where you are already at work so we can live into that, count on it, and experience the, the, the joy of what you are already up to. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, everyone. We, I believe there's uh, food back there. It looks like a bounty of great proportions, actually. And so uh, may the peace and the goodness and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.